The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. So we pick up our passion reading tonight. It's going to be Thursday night of Holy Week. And in the darkness of that night, Jesus knew what was coming with the dawn of the next day. He knew that Good Friday would come with his sacrifice as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And, you know, tonight as we see this reading, we see this amazing interplay between the, the, the Savior we have who is both true God and true man in one person. And the human nature of Jesus contemplating what was in front of him, well, he was, he was obviously under stress. He was obviously worried, perhaps. Can we say that about Jesus? We do one thing, though. He knew he needed time to pray. He needed time to spend with his Father in heaven. So he leaves the upper room with his disciples. They go down the uh, Mount Zion and cross the dry riverbed Kidron, go up the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives and into a grove of trees called Gethsemane. And as he leaves his disciples to go pray to his Father, he says to them, pray so you don't fall into temptation. That's actually a prayer you and I pray every single Sunday in the Lord's Prayer, right? Lead us not into temptation. Lord, um, guard and keep us so that we don't think that sin is okay. It's really what we're praying there. Because, well, that's what sin tries to do to us. It tries to convince us that, uh, well, a little bit of this sin isn't that big of a deal. You know, temptation finds us when we're weak, and then sin tries to convince us that what we've done isn't that big of a problem, right? And in our mind, we think maybe we can, we can toy with sin a little bit. And sin and temptation tries to, to get us to go along with that thought. The, def- the problem, though, is that they're lying to you, right? You can't toy with sin. Because as soon as you do, what you'll find out is that sin starts to rewrite your past, starts to rewrite your present, Sin starts to modify the way in which you perceive what's around you and who's around you. And all of a sudden, when you thought sin was something you could toy with, you find out that you've been the one who's been toyed by sin. You're dancing like a puppet on a string. Have you ever had that experience where all of a sudden this sin that you thought you could just dabble in, it's in control? Jesus said, pray that you don't fall into temptation. Um, But that's a pretty good description of you and I, right? We fall into temptation. But that, that right there is exactly why Jesus was in this garden this night, why he was contemplating what he called this bitter cup that he was to drink. So Jesus leaves his disciples a stone's throw away. He kneels down. He prays to his heavenly Father in anguish. And he says, Father... If it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but but yours be done. When when Jesus is talking about let this cup pass from me, he's he's using kind of an Old Testament statement there. In the Old Testament, if there was a, uh, like, for example, a nation, a godless nation that needed to be punished, God might say something like, I've got a whole cup full of punishment and you're going to drink it. I'm going to make you drink a whole cup full of my punishment. 
Well, that's, that's exactly what the expression Jesus is looking at here, except what he's seeing instead is the wrath of God over sin. Right? And God said that sinners, sinners must be punished. And Jesus now is contemplating what it would mean to be punished as the only sinner in the world, as the one person to stand in the place of every sinner. And he prays, let this cup pass from me. You know, you, again, this, this mystery that Jesus is both true God and true man in one person. Um, you know, in one sense, we talked about how his human nature certainly had to, be, had to be apprehensive of the intense suffering that was coming. But think about his divine nature, too. In the person of Jesus, he was going to experience things that were absolutely alien to his divine nature. Right? The immortal God was going to taste suffering and death in the person of Jesus. The one holy person, the one holy man, was going to feel what it was like to be the world's biggest sinner. And the perfect son of God would be damned and suffer the pangs of hell. Let this cup pass from me. You know, um, when I do this reading every time I come to it, I always, there's part of me that always asks, why, you know, why couldn't God just have said yes to Jesus? God, if it's your, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Why couldn't God go, okay, yeah, let's find another way. You don't have to do this, my son. Well, the reason that it had to be this way, uh, it, it's going to say something that sounds kind of simplistic, but really it's part of the profound truths of the Bible. The reason that this cup couldn't pass from Jesus, there couldn't be another way, is because God is God and our sin is real. Right? The sins you and I committed today, yesterday, last month, those were sins that God commanded us not to do. He prohibited us on the penalty of death. Thou shalt not. And we did it anyway. And that sin, that real sin, that means there must be real punishment because God is God. Because God is God, that means he can't change his mind. He can't say, oh, you know, what I said about the soul that sins that shall die, yeah, I was, I was mistaken. He can't say, well, don't worry about it. We'll just give, call this a mulligan, try again next week. No, God is God, and his justice, his justice must be held true when he said that sin must be punished with death. It's the great mystery of the gospel, though, that God chose to take every one of those punishments and place them on his son instead of on you and me. He says this is the only way it can be because it's the only way that God's justice and God's love are both upheld. God's justice in punishing sin, God's love in saving the sinner. You know, that's, that's why the symbol of our religion is the cross because we're never meant to forget the the incomparable price of our redemption, right? What it cost. It, it comes freely to you and me, but goodness sakes, that doesn't mean it was cheap. It cost the lifeblood of God's one and only son. And because 
the purchase price of our redemption was so inconceivably high. That gives me great joy and comfort, I tell you what, because you get what you pay for, right? I remember when I was younger, I was a lesson I needed to learn that sometimes when, you, uh, when something's cheap, it might not last. You buy something on the bargain rack, you might get exactly what you paid for. You know, that doesn't matter if you're shopping for, uh, I don't know, Ikea furniture that you assemble with those little tools, follow the stick figures. But, you know, if it's the difference between life and death, I mean, if you were going parachuting for the first time, would you go buy your parachute from the clearance rack? (laughs) Would you look for some scratch and dents? Maybe find out if anybody returned a few parachutes that they were unhappy with and you could get those a little cheaper? Right? Here's the thing. The price of your redemption... It's inconceivably high. Yours was no clearance rack redemption. Jesus purchased it, not with silver or gold, but with his holy precious blood, with his innocent suffering and death. But because he did, that means your sins are forgiven, guaranteed. Your place in heaven is certain, guaranteed. You're a child of God, guaranteed, because he paid any price to make it happen. So that symbol of our religion, the cross, it's with its reminder of the most, well, the greatest sacrifice in history, one like the world had never seen and will never see again, the sacrifice of the immortal for the mortal, of the creator for creation. But yet that was the cup. That was the cup of wrath Jesus was willing to drink for you and for me. That was the cup that would free you and I from the bonds of Satan and the chains of death. That was the cup. And Jesus was willing to drink it in full. You know, as we do this reading tonight, you'll see everybody in the reading really really turn on Jesus. You have Judas with his betrayal kiss. You've got the crowd there to arrest him. You've got Peter with his impetuous sword. You have the disciples all abandoning Jesus and running off into the night. Jesus was left all alone. But that's exactly why he had come, to walk this road alone, to drink the cup that you and I could never drink, to be everything that we needed to be our Savior. You know, when his prayer stops tonight in the reading, that's, that's the moment when you see a resolve set into Jesus. As soon as he knows his Father's will, When his father says, no, this is the way, drink the cup, this is how our children will be redeemed, Jesus doesn't waver, Jesus doesn't hesitate, Jesus turns his cheek to the betrayer's kiss, he heals the ear of Malchus, he stops the sword of Peter, and with clear eyes he walks to his crucifixion, because you were on his heart and on his mind, because he had come to save you. Christ, Lamb of God, have mercy on us and grant us your peace.